Good evening and welcome to Refuge Bible Fellowship. Tonight is Wednesday, April 22nd, and we will be in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, but before we get into our study, I wanted to share a word out of Romans chapter 13. Uh, it just has to do with, uh, with how it is that we are to love one another, and I thought it, it would be a good word of encouragement, something that would give us perspective in uh, how we are to interact with one another, especially uh, in the times that we're in, uh, I, I think even more than ever before, um, the stress is kind of just built up, and uh, we're, we've been in this quarantine period now for quite some time, and so, well, quite some time, I mean, it's been, what, five weeks, and, and for us, it's, it's uh, probably four and a half weeks too long. So um, let me encourage you with this word. So Romans chapter 13 And verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to, to wake from sleep. For salvation is near to us now, nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And so just a word of encouragement. Um, you know, in verse 14, uh, the Apostle Paul goes on to write, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And, uh, and so, just again, uh, just to remind ourselves that um, the night is far spent. Uh, the time is near for Jesus Christ to come back, uh, for the church to be raptured, and so we ought to be ready at all times. And we ought to be caught uh, doing the things that please the Lord. And so, love, love each other in, a, in the manner in which God has prescribed. Uh, not a love like the world, but a love like we see in the Bible, in the Word of God. And so we love with a self-sacrificing love. Uh, we love, we, we, uh, we love unconditionally. And, uh, and so, and according to truth, is how we love. Sometimes we love uh, others by uh, pointing things out gently to them that are not of God, that they would be reconciled unto the Lord and be restored. It reminds me of what Nathan did with King David and what we see throughout Scripture. So, um, you know, so welcome to Refuge Bible Fellowship. Uh, my name is Roland. I'm the senior pastor. We're here in Riverside, California, and I'm excited to get into our midweek study. Uh, we are again going through the book of 1 Samuel, and tonight we're going through chapter 24. And the main, you could say, topic for this evening is mercy. And so we'll see that this evening. Now, as we know about this, uh, this chapter, what is before us is this, um, this uh, situation between David and Saul. Uh, Saul comes into the presence of David, and it's at that point that David can, could, could have very well have taken vengeance, uh, because vengeance was within literally within the reach of David. Saul we know he was in constant pursuit of David. 
Uh, he tried to kill David three times with his own spear. Uh, he put a hit out on his life. And uh, so we, knew, we know um, through what we've learned already up to this point that uh, Saul was after David and he wanted to put him to death. He wanted him completely out of the way. In chapter 23, Saul was pursuing David and had almost found him. And just about there, when Saul, one of Saul's messengers came to him um, to notify him that the Philistines were, uh, came against uh, the land. And so King Saul and his men had to turn around, um, abandoned, the, abandoned the pursuit of David, and go and deal with the Philistines. And so Saul turned away from pursuing David. Uh, but Saul, we know he didn't forget once he took care of the Philistines, he returned to his pursuit of David. And, uh, and we know that Saul was obsessed with bringing David down, destroying him. And he was doing everything he could to make sure that David was found and killed. But as we know, God had different plans. Tonight, we'll learn how it was that David handled himself when Saul came into his presence when he was within reach of being taken out himself. Uh, so we'll see how it was that David handled himself in that situation. I believe it's, a, it's an important lesson for us. Listen, everyone wants to, of the flesh, as the flesh wells up with anger, with bitterness, uh, to, to take vengeance on perhaps on someone who has harmed us, who has hurt us, who has done something to perhaps a family member or a close friend. And so I believe that tonight we're going to learn some important lessons in regards to mercy and vengeance. Does God prefer judgment or does he prefer mercy? Are we to seek vengeance? Is it okay if someone else avenges us? Or are we to leave that up to God? So those are the questions that I believe this evening will have answers for. So let's pray. Father, we want to commit this time of study into your hands. We ask your blessing. And that by your spirit, you would give us understanding to what we have before us in your word in this chapter. So we invite you to be with us and uh, for you to teach us these lessons that, Lord, would, would help us understand your character and what you desire. And so it's with that that we thank you for being here. We thank you for what's going to happen this evening. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start out by reading 1 Samuel chapter 24 in verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Quite interesting, just this whole scenario that we've now come to. So after having dealt with the Philistines, Saul came back to look for David. So he was in pursuit of him. And it says here that he went to the wild goat's rocks. He was told that he was in the canyon of En Gedi. 
And we know that En Gedi is on the west coast of the Dead Sea, and it's a canyon that runs east and west. Uh, it's, a, it's a lush canyon. Um, there is a water that runs through it. And so it seems almost out of place. Uh, here's this barren desert. And uh, in, in the middle of this barren desert, coming into the Dead Sea, is this, uh, is this river. And, and water makes everything lush. And there are many caves there. Uh, this is the very place where uh, shepherds could bring their sheep and uh, they could very well take care of them and, and hide them in those caves. And so here we have uh, David in the canyon of En Gedi and he's hiding his 600 men and they're taking cover from the pursuit of King Saul. Um, it's, it's very easy. All over Israel, by the way, last year when, when uh, my wife and I and some friends went to Israel, I, I remember looking at the landscape in, in the rolling hills in some areas where uh, there were plenty of caves and large enough to where families could easily go in and, and live. And so, so it is in the valley, valley or the canyon of En Gedi. And so David and his 600 men were there. They were hiding and uh, they could easily spot uh, anyone who was incoming and, uh, and take cover. And so they could spot someone from a long distance. It seems as if David and his men either did spot Saul, and this is what I'm, I'm getting from what we are going into. It, it seems like perhaps David and his men did spot Saul and his men com- coming. I mean, for, uh, for David, it wouldn't have been difficult to see 3,000 men uh, coming toward them, approaching them. So either way, uh, the one who didn't know that David was right there was Saul. Saul didn't know that David was actually in the very cave that he went into to relieve himself. You can imagine a long trip. It was, uh, they got to that point. Um, there's water coming down the canyon. And uh, Saul said, you know, this is, this is time to take a break. And he went in to relieve himself. So this is, um, by the way, as, as I think about as we're starting to go into uh, this event, um, I believe that this is a great illustration of the enemy. The enemy and the child of God. Um, David, of course, would have loved to have had perhaps victory over his enemy in that maybe the enemy would just leave him alone and not continue to go after him. Uh, for David to be able to enjoy not having to be vigilant, always on the alert, always looking over his shoulder and um, looking for whether Saul's around the corner or not. But I believe this is a great illustration for us as Christians, as children of God, because this is indeed what we have come to know as, as Christians that we ought to be vigilant, we ought to be sober-minded, clear-minded, uh, always alert and aware of our circumstances and what we're faced with. Christians, my brothers and sisters, you cannot relax. You cannot. You can be at peace in Christ, but we cannot relax. We cannot relax our vigilance. We cannot Relax our discernment. We ought to always be exercising discernment, reading and, and, uh, and, and 
learning and, and discerning the circumstances, the things that are happening around us. Being able to perceive when it's the enemy and when it's the Lord. Keeping watch and making every effort to see and identify the enemy coming from a long distance. 1 Peter 5.8 describes uh, what the Christian ought to be. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. John 10.10, Jesus speaking, said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so this is what we need to understand. Uh, We can't think that everything is, um, that everyone, that we have favor with everyone. Uh, that we have favor in all circumstances, that there's no danger in in anything. Um, You know, there's always a temptation. There's always someone or something or a situation that's trying to lure us away from the Lord. And so we ought to be paying attention. Why? Because we're not of the world, but we're in the world. So we ought to be sober-minded. We ought to be able to uh, clearly think and discern and see things for what they are. Why? Because we have an adversary, and he is the devil, and he's described as this roaring predator that prowls around seeking to devour, to destroy, to kill, especially us as God's children. You see, the enemy's whole aim is to steal, kill, and destroy. So let's be vigilant. Let's be sober-minded, and let's be always ready to respond to Satan's attempts to destroy us with the truth, uh, destroy us, combating or coming against him with the truth of God's word. Well, Saul, we know, was obviously David's enemy. And Saul had gone right into the cave that David was in. Now, Saul couldn't see him. Perhaps his eyes hadn't adjusted to the darkness coming in from the light, Uh, But he was so close to David. Let's continue. Verse 4. It says, And when David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him. And because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe... He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David pursued his men with these, or persuaded, I'm sorry, his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Now, as we, as we, Take a look at this and kind of break it down. Uh, here is uh, Saul coming into this cave. David is so close that he's able to cut uh, a piece of his outer garment, um, uh, just a, a corner piece of it. Um, and um, this is something that at first David thought was okay, but then it troubled him. And, and then he had to persuade his men to not uh, take Saul out. So... David's men, perspective. Let's take a look at, because David's men were loyal to him. 
He had 600 men who had gathered around him who had been really uh, been, been growing as far as being built up as mighty warriors. And so uh, this perspective of theirs was simple. Remember, they were, they were warriors. So their perspective, the opportunity that had pre- presented itself, uh, they thought this is we, what we ought to do. The enemy is in our hands. Take him out. Take out the enemy. That was their advice. And they were speaking as if they had discerned that God had delivered Saul right into David's hand. So that's what they were discerning. That's what they were communicating to David. But the question that we ought to ask, and what we see here, I think these are some of the lessons that we need to kind of pull out of this story, is were they right? This is the question that we ought to always ask. Is the advice that we're receiving, even if it sounds good, is, is it right? Is it sound advice? Is this what God was referring to when he told David this? Because what's implied here is that uh, what, what he was told was the very thing that perhaps David had communicated to them that God had told him. A promise. Because you can't question their loyalty toward David. Saul was right there. They very well, if they were going to betray him, could have said something and warned Saul and could have captured David. So the 600 men that were with David were loyal to David. So that cannot be questioned. But was their advice sound? Because his men were genuinely believing that God had handed over the enemy, bringing him right into David's hand. Well, David approached Saul. You can imagine, because this is what they told him. This is what they had said. Hey, God has brought him and he's given him right into your hand. So you can just imagine, at that point, David unsheaths his knife and comes towards Saul. But he doesn't kill him. He doesn't take him out. He simply cuts a corner of his robe off, his outer garment. He cuts it off. And he has evidence right there that he was right there. We don't know if, uh, by what we read here, we don't know if, uh, if David had other intentions. But at that point, he didn't do anything but, call, but cut Saul's garment uh, now, some people wonder how it is that Saul, or, uh, David could have been so stealth to get in there uh, without Saul noticing and cut off a piece of his clothing being so close to him. So he was not detected by Saul. Now, remember, we need to remember, Saul arrived with 3,000 men, uh, an army that was no doubt moving around outside. They were trying to get situated. Perhaps that was a, a place where they were going to rest for a little while. And so there was a lot of movement outside. I can imagine being in that cave that that sound was traveling in and perhaps even echoing a bit in there. We don't know, but, uh, but we do know that, that David was able to do this without being detected. And so we can, we can think about what the environment would have been at that point. Not only that, but Saul could have also taken his outer garment 
off to go to the restroom in there and placed it somewhere else. And perhaps David went and took that and cut part of his, his garment that he had laid down. Again, we don't know. We don't know. What we do know is that David cut off part of his, his robe, part of Saul's robe, and, um, and he had it in hand. Saul didn't know that David was there. And it seems like almost immediately, perhaps it was immediately, David was cut to the heart. He was convicted for having done that. He immediately turned around and had to address his men, confessing his conviction to them and his whole understanding at this point of the situation. It was in that moment that David was able to discern that this was not what the Lord was referring to when he told him, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Oh, it's, it's quite humbling when you perhaps act on the advice of a brother in the Lord, and you start moving and then realize that's not what the Lord wants. You know, at that point, you have one of two options. Of course, continue on because you've already committed to it. Or stop, turn around, confess that this isn't what the Lord wants and help them perhaps to understand why not. Because David even went to the extent of persuading his men. It seems like at this point, his men were ready to take Saul out. They were ready. Hey, we're with you, David. Let's go in there. Uh, Saul is right there. Let's take him out. And so David had to take his time to persuade his men to not move forward and take Saul out. It took David doing everything he could to help them understand that this was actually not the right thing to do, but it was the wrong thing to do. Knowing that Saul was going after David, Knowing that Saul had attempted to take David's life several times personally. Knowing that Saul had put a hit out on David. Knowing all of this, David just knew at this point, this was actually the wrong thing to do. And so he persuaded. He persuaded his men not to take action. Now, let's consider David. Let's examine David. He had every right to be angry, uh, to be resentful, to be bitter toward Saul. And yet, there's no evidence of any of that right, right now. None whatsoever. Although his men and anyone else would not have blamed David for taking Saul out... That didn't move him. That that didn't convince him to respond in in any other way than to glorify God. And really, that's what it is. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. No anger, no resentment, no bitterness towards Saul. There's none exhibited here. might have been for a moment that he moved in line with what his men had advised him to do. But then David was convicted to the core by God. And he didn't follow through with killing Saul. And he was even convicted for having cut off just a portion 
of Saul's garment. This is, remember that God defined or, or had referred to David as a man after God's own heart. And I believe this is a great example of this moment to where he wasn't a perfect man. We know that David, by far, you know, he was not even close to, to being a perfect man. But here was a man who, who in the midst of following through and, and, he, and, and, and maybe having been able to take his enemy out, didn't. And he had to come back and humble himself before his men and convince them that this was the wrong thing to do. This calmness about David, this conviction, this humility, what that did was, as the men saw that, they were convinced of his genuineness, of his genuineness to desire, to want to glorify the Lord above all. So David restrained himself and he restrained his men from doing something that was really only meant for God to do. David demonstrated mercy over judgment because that would have been judgment to take out Saul, but he didn't do that. He exercised, he demonstrated mercy over judgment. James 2.13 says this, For God is without mercy to one who who has shown no mercy. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2.13. So we know, we see this here, that David's conscience was tender toward God. And his men saw this and responded to David's words, and they kept their hand back from taking Saul out. So at this point, Saul, you could say, got away, but actually he was allowed to get away. And then mercy. We see more mercy here. Verse 8 Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. So here was David. Uh, What an example of a man who revered and respected the uh, the king of Israel. Uh, He's acknowledging him as God's anointed one. This is one that has been put there by the Lord. He shows it by the way he referred to him, by the way he called out to him, and then his posture before the king. And then David goes on to address King Saul. Verse 9, And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? 
After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. And so David addresses Saul. Uh, This is his defense for the unfitting accusations of assumptions against him, and that's all they were. They were assumptions. They were things that had built up in Saul's mind, uh, things that weren't true in regards to David. David, in, in this place, did something very courageous. In a way, he surrendered himself to Saul. Remember, keep in mind that he had 3,000 men. 3,000 of his best men came with Saul to pursue David. And now David comes out and confronts Saul. And we know that David only has 600 men. And so David came out. And what did he do? He made himself vulnerable to Saul. Because Saul could have very well turned around and come after David and overwhelmed him. After all, now he knew exactly what cave he was referring to and where he was. Now he could see him. He was in his line of sight. But David wanted to show one very important thing. Even though at this point, Saul was there with his 3,000 men, David came out making himself vulnerable. Why? Because he desired reconciliation above all. Why? Because the Lord loves restoration. The Lord loves when reconciliation happens. After all, the plan of salvation in its entirety is to reconcile the world unto the Lord, unto the Father through the Son. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross, to reconcile us unto the Father. And so this is what David was was demonstrating when he was showing Saul that he wanted to reconcile with him and demonstrate that he had no ill toward him and wanted to know why Saul had murderous intentions toward him. But nonetheless, even if he didn't get the answer, at least he would would help Saul understand that he had no bad intentions towards him. David also bowed down to Saul and paid homage as the king of Israel, referring to Saul as my Lord, the king. And so we see here there was much respect, something more than what we see today demonstrated toward our leaders, national leaders, local leaders, so on and so forth. But what what we need to also understand is that David was not putting his trust in Saul, but rather putting his trust in God. Something very important for us to understand. Even though David came and made himself vulnerable uh, to Saul, he wasn't placing his trust in in Saul, in Saul's goodness, or whether Saul would uh, accept this uh, as a, a genuine attempt at reconciling. He wasn't putting his trust in Saul. He was putting his trust in God, and his hope was in him. Some things to consider as we went through these verses, verses 8 through 15. One thing to ask, do you listen to God or people? 
And it's not bad to listen to people as long as they're lined up with, with God and his, his, uh, his word. But do you listen to God or people? David asked Saul why he listened to the lies of men who say that he seeks to harm him. Sometimes we lend our ear and we listen too much to those who are saying things that do not line up with God's word. We believe what they say about someone else without even confirming or asking or maybe even knowing the character of that person. We listen to this other person. We shouldn't do that. Do you listen to God or people? Whose voice and whose words do you put more weight on? Yes, there is safety in a multitude of counselors, but you need to be able to discern if those counselors are speaking truth according to God's word or from speaking from their own opinion or worse, from the world's opinion. Sometimes we think as if the experience that we've had in the years that we've lived, demonstrate some kind of wisdom that is worth passing along to someone else. We need to discern whether that experience that we've gone through in years that we've been living, if it's worth anything passing along to someone else. Does it line up with God's word? Is it, is it a godly biblical wisdom? Or is it just what we, we've experienced and and sometimes we need to realize that the way in which we responded and reacted to in some of those situations isn't so wise and wasn't the right thing. Was it a good thing at the moment? Perhaps it was for us, but was it the right thing? Not always. Not always. And in many circumstances and in many situations, the answer is no. Had David listened to his men over listening to God, Saul wouldn't be alive. So in a way... David was asking why Saul didn't listen to the Lord over others. And then David continued to to go on as he was speaking, giving proof of good intentions, his good intentions. David had Saul right before him, but it wasn't so that David could kill him, but so that David could demonstrate discernment and restraint. Perhaps God did deliver Saul right into David's hand. But it wasn't so that David could could take Saul out, but so that David could discern at that very moment whether it was right to follow through with killing Saul or not. You see, not all situations are obvious or to be viewed as God showing favor. There are some things that come easy so that you can make the right decisions to reject what others may see as being something that God sent your way. You know, other people around you also, you know, they see and they, and they, uh, they might be a little biased and they might look at something from the outside and, and tell you that is definitely God, that is a, the direction that you should go in, go do it. When doors swing wide open, make sure you peek your head all the way in before you go in and really see what's beyond that door on the other side and pray. Pray that you make the right decision as to whether you should go through that door of opportunity or pass it up or just pass on it. Because remember, 
David had this opportunity right before him. The advice that he got was, take him out, God has delivered him into your hand. And yet he discerned in that moment that it was not the right thing to do. And he passed on going through that door of opportunity. By not taking Saul out, David proved that he had no evil intentions toward him. He wasn't going to take the throne by force. He was already told by God that it belonged to him. And so he didn't need his own strength or by his flesh or his own power to do this very thing. He could rely on God. He could trust in him. God would do what he needed to do. In David's hand was no wrong or no treason. And he was communicating that to Saul. He was asking him to pay attention, to, to consider the things that have, have just transpired. There was no wrong or treason in David's hand, but the very hem of Saul's robe. The other thing to look at here is your actions don't determine mine. So just a statement to think about. Your actions don't determine mine. David told Saul just because he hunted David didn't mean that David in turn would turn around and hunt Saul. We see humility in David. Not pride, not revenge, not anger, none of those things. We see humility. David regarded himself as nothing. He referred to him here as, you know, who, who is it? Who is it that, that I am? After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. What he's saying, what, what uh, David was saying was that he was nothing. He understood he was nothing. Why is it that the king of Israel was spending all this time and energy and effort in bringing all these men out to pursue this nothing? That's the manner in which David saw himself. He regarded Saul as the anointed one of the Lord. And he was, he was referring to himself as, hey, what am I? Who am I that you would find such value? Be so fearful of, perhaps, and he didn't tell him this, to come after me and come after my life with everything that you have. So there was humility. And then we see, we see here at the end of David's address, David pleading with God for judgment and mercy and protection. That's what he was pleading with God for. May the Lord be judged between Saul and David. God was trust, or, or, uh, David was trusting God to judge. He was trusting that God would hear his plea for mercy. And David was trusting that God would deliver him out of Saul's hand. Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. So after... David addresses Saul. Holding the 
corner of Saul's garment in his hand and saying these things to him, Saul responds. Verse 16. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And so Saul responds with these words. He goes on, but we're going to stop there, and then we'll continue on and kind of wrap things up in the last couple of verses. But I see this as God's sovereign softening of Saul's heart toward David. Uh, it, it was just this, this divine softening. You know, it wasn't anything special that was in David himself, but it was the very Spirit of God that was doing this, this work in Saul's heart. The reason I say this, the reason why I say is, is that it was a sovereign softening of Saul's heart toward David. It was God's doing was because I've seen people be very soft and gentle toward others who have ought with them, speaking to them gently, softly, and then seeing the other person turn on them with anger, bitterness, and say things that are so cutting and so clearly expresses an anger and even a disdain toward the person who is seeking reconciliation. Unfortunately, I speak from experience. I've had that happen to me. And so that's why I know that this was God's doing. He sovereignly softened the heart of Saul and he protected David. We see this response as being very emotional by Saul. Referring to David as his son, confessing that he was more righteous than he was because he didn't repay evil for evil, but repaid him with good. Repaid him not with vengeance, but with mercy. Because anyone else, as he said here, anyone else would have taken his enemy out when given the chance, but David did not do that. And Saul even asked God to bless David for what he did for him that day. This is what it looks like to live above reproach, speaking and referring to David, that even outsiders can't say anything bad about you. One of the qualities that an elder, a pastor, really any Christian should possess is this very thing, that you would be above reproach. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Well, there's more. Saul acknowledges David as the next king of Israel as we wrap up here. Verse 20 says, And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So it is the end of this chapter. Now, Saul acknowledged David as the next king of Israel through whom Israel will be established and then asked for mercy upon his own family. You see, it was common for the succeeding king to kill the family of the king that was succeeded. 
so as to not have any that would challenge the throne. David had already made his promise to Jonathan, but David made this promise to Saul also. So David had made this promise to Jonathan, his son, uh, but now that Saul had asked David for this very same favor, this promise, he made it to him. And David never went back on his promise. And it was at this point that they went their two separate ways. Saul went home. Think about this. Saul went home and David went back to his hiding place. Just because Saul said these things, David knew it wasn't good for him to return with Saul. He's already seen so much. He's seen Saul go up and down and just lose it and try and kill him. And at this point, Saul went home and, and David went back into his hiding place. Remember, David was discerning God's voice, but Saul had lost the spirit and couldn't discern anything past his own fleshly desires. Just because he repented, just because Saul repented, didn't mean that David was going to trust him. Because he's seen such an inconsistency with Saul. Only consistency over time would prove if Saul was truly genuine and humble in what he said. Because an emotional response doesn't equal a genuine response. Consistency over time. Patience, humility, earning the trust of the other person. Understanding that there's consequences to our actions. Pursuing that and demonstrating a true, genuine reconciliation. That's really what's important. So, for David, he was discerning. He went back to uh, hiding and uh, Saul went back home. Uh, The question that we ought to ask in these cases is, is it worldly sorrow or are we sorry about the consequences that we have found ourselves faced with or is it truly godly conviction? Now we know David was a man after God's heart and I want to conclude with this. We find this in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. The Apostle Paul writes, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, such an important lesson that we've had here. Lord, as I started out, we confess that we either desire to do it for our own sakes or for the sake of someone that's close to us, a a friend, a co-worker, whoever, that we just want judgment, we want justice, we want vengeance. But the Lord says, vengeance is mine. What you love above judgment is mercy. 
Oh, and how it was that mercy softened the heart of Saul. It made him, even if it was emotionally, it made him at the very moment consider and acknowledge that David was not his enemy. That David was not out to betray him. And David was not after his life. Now that was the truth. And in that moment, Saul saw that. He understood. He acknowledged it. And I pray for us, Lord, that we would not have any vengeance within us, that we would exercise mercy and grace, forgiveness, that we would pursue reconciliation, even if it makes us vulnerable before those who perhaps are enemies, that you may receive the glory and, that, and so that we may give opportunity for mercy to be exercised, forgiveness to be known, and for you to be glorified. We thank you for this time in your word, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great evening.